The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love. That last forever Know His hope And sure salvation I will trust in Him Though the world Falls around me I rest And know That He has found me Christ the rock Is my foundation Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome again to Pastor Yeshua. As stated in an earlier episode discussing types and shadows, when we study all of Scripture, we tend to see that indeed God seems to create all things according to a pattern which testifies of Him. As we continue to look and study the visible and invisible things of creation, we are able to increasingly see God's reflection to some degree in that mirror. When these examples occur within Scripture, we characteristically refer to them as types or shadows. We shall also see that ultimately, as with all Scripture, that these types and shadows point to the substance which is Jesus. During the previous 14 episodes, we took an in-depth examination of the various types, shadows, and the substance which were revealed by God through the book of Exodus and Numbers. In doing so, we saw how God used the historical saga of Israel's entrance, bondage, and eventual deliverance from Egypt by Moses parallels 
and in fact foreshadows its substance depicting all God's people who have entered into bondage of sin and are delivered from their sin through grace, by faith, in the finished work and imputed righteousness of Jesus. In the last episode, we continued our study via chapter 21 of the book of Numbers. Moving forward from Numbers 21, in this episode, we conclude our series, Moses the Deliverer, as the people of Israel begin at long last to emerge from their forty years wandering in the wilderness. In the chapters to follow, they come into lands which are inhabited, whereupon they begin to act and take possession of the frontiers of the land of promise. In the next 16 chapters, concluding Numbers, God's Word presents many historical events, including the famous story of Balaam and his talking ass, and the daughters of Zelophehad. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses begins giving various laws and ordinances regarding the Levitical priesthood, as well as generally addressing God's desire for Israel to remain separate from the customs and beliefs of the surrounding inhabitants of the land. In verses 15 through 19, Moses receives a prophecy pertaining directly to the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Quote, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I command him. And it shall come to pass, that whosoever will not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him." Unquote. This prophecy, and indeed Moses' life and ministry as a deliverer for his people Israel, is the type which the book of Acts reveals to be the substance in chapter 3, verses 18 through 23. Quote, but those things which God before had shewed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which shall not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Unquote. So once again, both in the Old Testament as well as the New, God directs our attention to the connection between his type, Moses the Deliverer, and the substance, Jesus, who is our great and final Deliverer. The question is, with so much of God's word, which is obvious in its type and substance, why do so many fail to see and understand? 
Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 2 through 6, provides an answer. Quote, And Moses called unto all Israel and said unto them, Ye have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt unto Pharaoh, and unto all his servants, and unto all his land. The great temptations which thine eyes have seen, the signs, and those great miracles, yet the Lord hath not given you a heart to perceive, and eyes to see, and ears to hear unto this day. And I have led you forty years in the wilderness, your clothes are not waxen old upon you, and thy shoe is not waxen old upon thy foot. Ye have not eaten bread, neither have ye drunk wine or strong drink, that ye might know that I am the Lord your God." Unquote. Like the people of Israel, the world of mankind wanders through the wilderness as our substance, the great deliverer, Jesus, gives opportunity to see who will place their faith and follow him. Many, like those in Israel, have seen all that the Lord has done. We are witness to this world and to all of God's creation. Despite the innumerable, intricate, and awesome workings, some of which we still grasp to understand, there are many who would spit in the face of the designer and builder while claiming in foolish arrogance that all that is is a random chance accident, a meaningless, purposeless happenstance which began without thought or design. Likewise, whatever continues does so without meaning or purpose. Finally, at the end, they each look forward to meaningless, purposeless death and burial, with their final estate being to be consumed by worms and forgotten. But God did not create the world for these. God does not and cannot desire fellowship with a heart which rejects his existence. God created all things in anticipation and in planning for those who, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and any and all who would walk by faith towards the promised land, do so in earnest, looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. For those on the journey, take heart, though we may wander, we are not lost. Even if we die, if we die in faith, like Joseph, we do so in confidence, giving instructions that our bones will be carried over to the promised land. We do so because we know that absent from the body is to be present with Christ. Such is the case with Joseph and all those who believe, though it may be forty, four hundred, or four thousand years before our bodies be resurrected, our spirit is ever present with the one whom we trust, Jesus. Not only so, but when we stand at the threshold and reflect on the journey, we will, like Israel, see that in every mountain, and in every valley, however low, and in every dry place, a rock, Yeshua, was there, giving us manna to eat, and water to quench our thirst. In every way he was diligent in our provision, just as in forty years neither Israel's clothes nor shoes waxed old. So too will he meet our every need for our journey.
Finally, in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 1 through 10, we read of Moses' death. Quote, And Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the mountain of Nebo, to the top of Pishgah, that is over against Jericho. And the Lord shewed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan, and all Nephtali in the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah unto the uttermost sea, and the south, and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees unto Zoar. And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed. I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over thither. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, over against Beth Peor. But no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. And Moses was a hundred and twenty years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him. And the children of Israel hearkened unto him, as did the Lord commanded Moses. For Moses had laid his hands upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened unto him, and did as the Lord commanded Moses. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face." It is interesting to note that the Targums give additional commentary on the death of Moses, stating that God went far beyond affording Moses the opportunity to have a view of the promised land and to see its beauty with his natural eye. The Targums tell us that in addition, God gave Moses a supernatural viewing, a trailer, and a summary short vision with highlights of all the events in future yet to come. There it is said Moses beheld all of Israel's various victory and triumphs, including Gideon against Midian, up to, through, and including the battle of Armageddon against the Antichrist. This may at first blush seem to be somewhat of an apocryphal account. Some would say that it would be impossible for Moses to see, with his physical eyes, all of the areas that the Bible records God showing Moses due to the distances involved and the curvature of the earth. Then again, let's remember that in Exodus chapter 25, verse 40, Moses was shown by God the pattern in heaven, i.e. the substance, of those things which he was commanded to duplicate in type on earth. One would have to ask, which vantage point is more difficult to see, heaven or earth? The point is that with God, all things are possible. Also, if God is as the Targums claim showing Moses the future, then God is utilizing far more than his natural eyes to see. Although it is not mentioned here, if God was taking the time to share the substance of the future to which Moses and his ministry was so much a type, 
then what more important substance to show Moses than the awaited Messiah, Jesus? After all, since Moses was created, born, lived, and died as a prophet in type to the coming Messiah, Jesus, then what more befitting honor and culmination of his life than to see the Messiah who he had spent his life foreshadowing? Paradoxically, as we look at the complexity of this type, we see yet another. We may perhaps see in Moses' life how we each in turn should order our lives. We each, like Israel, groan to be delivered from the bondage of sin, Egypt. By his mercy, love, and grace, we are delivered by Jesus, our deliverer, just as Israel was by Moses, who was theirs from bondage. We, like Moses, are created, born, live, and die so that our lives may in every aspect proclaim Christ. As we live, we are focused on delivering as many as God wills by His mercy from the bondage of Egypt. We, along with our fellow believers, follow, as did Moses, a pillar of cloud by day and of fire by night. We, like Moses and Israel, are sustained day by day in our journey, and we are motivated and maintained by faith in the vision of what is to come and of the promised land which awaits us. Deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 6 adds a small but interesting comment saying, quote, And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, unquote. In case we miss the fact, the quote-unquote, he in question, which is said to bury Moses, is the Lord himself. If so, then this is unique because it is the only time recorded where God is said to personally bury someone. We know that Joshua, Eleazar, the elders of Israel, and countless tens of thousands were available to do the job. So why did God do it himself? Some will insist on some scribal error or mistranslation which should read, quote-unquote, they, meaning Joshua and whoever else is meant. Some will claim that since no one now knows or remembers where Moses' grave is, that saying God buried him is a euphemism for saying God only knows where Moses is buried. Others will see that because God always has purpose, he has purpose in the this personal act of Moses' burial. Before deciding, we are given yet another tantalizing clue in Jude chapter 1, verse 9. Quote, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee, unquote. Here, we learn from Jude that Michael, the archangel, God's chief and highest angel in rank, contended or disputed over the body of Moses. The question is, why? Unless there is some practical use for the fleshly body where Moses' spirit abode for 120 years, then this makes no sense. To answer this question, as we look at the rest of God's inspired word, we see that the figure of Moses, although he is dead, continues to weigh heavily in God's unfolding plan of redemption. Time marches on, 
1,500 years later, we would surely think that any reference to Moses other than a historical footnote was long ago past. But then, just as the dust seems to fully cover the memory of Moses, we come to Jesus the Christ, who, as this episode has stated many times, is the substance of the type which was Moses. As Jesus' ministry culminated, he began to draw closer to his appointed time in history when he would go to Jerusalem to be crucified, buried, and rise again. Prior to doing so, Matthew chapter 17 verses 1 through 5, Mark chapter 9 verses 4 through 7, and Luke chapter 9 verses 28 through 36 all record an incident referred to as the Mount of Transfiguration. Quote, and it came to pass about it eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. Quote. During the transfiguration, Jesus meets and debriefs with both Moses and Elijah. In doing so, Jesus is firstly being shown to be quote, the Word unquote, in the flesh. Historically, Jesus referred to the scripture in his day as quote, the Law and the Prophets. Unquote referencing a common idiom of the time. Of these, Moses is clearly the lawgiver in that he is identified with the covenant most closely, while Elijah is the prophet, the first in a line of the prototype of many. While appearing with the law, i.e. Moses, and the prophets, i.e. Elijah, Jesus is shown to be fulfilling all of Scripture. Secondly, we don't know all of what was discussed on the mount, but we do know that they spake of his decease, namely Jesus' pending trials, suffering, crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. During this time, we know that all three personages appeared together in their glorified state. So perhaps for lack of a better explanation, here stood two of the greatest forerunners, types, prophets, and leaders of God's people who ever lived, giving succor, solace, comfort, and prayer with their Lord and Master. Lastly, it is perhaps possible that Jesus had last-minute instructions for two of his earthly lieutenants who might serve some later unknown purpose still to come.
In Luke chapter 16, we read the poignant parable of Abraham and Lazarus, told by Jesus in verses 19 through 31. In this parable, we are introduced to a certain rich man who lived very well, and a beggar named Lazarus who laid at the gate full of sores. Both men die. Lazarus is carried to Abraham's bosom where he is comforted. The rich man awakes in hell being tormented in flames and seeing Lazarus afar off. The two engage in conversation and learn that the consequences are the outcome of their earthly choices and decisions and neither may help the other due to a fixed gulf between them. When the rich man realizes that his fate is final, he then pleads with Abraham to send Lazarus to his surviving family to prevent the same punishment befalling them. In verses 27 through 31, we read the rich man's request. Quote, then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead." Now over the many years that the Lord has been pleased to redeem me, I have lost count of how many times I have heard someone defiantly demand proof that the Bible is true, or that God exists, or that Jesus rose from the dead. In the end, they inevitably want to see some grandiose miracle performed before their eyes. They want to see God appear, or some other incontrovertible feat of what only God is able to do take place before them. When all is said, they join the rich man in hearing Abraham say, quote, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Unquote. They are like those of Jesus' day who saw the water turned into wine, who saw multitudes fed with a few loaves and a few fishes, who saw the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, demons cast out, the dead come to life, and more. Having saw and witnessed all these things with their own eyes and ears, did they worship Jesus as Messiah, Lord, King, and God? No, they hated him all the more and claimed that he did the miracles that he did by the power of Satan. The same is true today. Many see, many hear, but few believe. But there are still many who, by God's grace, can and will see, hear, believe, and call him Lord. In Luke 24, Jesus himself acknowledges Moses and his role as a type in verse 27. Quote, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Unquote. 
Again, in Luke chapter 24, verses 44 and 45, Jesus says, quote, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures, unquote. In John, Jesus begins to identify and gather his disciples. In chapter 1, verse 45, we read, quote, Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, unquote. In John chapter 5, verses 45 through 47, Jesus says, quote, Do you think that I will accuse you to the Father? There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Unquote. In Acts chapter 28, verses 23 and 24, we read of Paul's ministry preaching the gospel. Quote, and when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. Unquote. Today, it is possible that Moses' involvement in the stream of human history may not be over. Turning to Revelation, many believe that one of the two witnesses revealed in chapter 11 is none other than Moses. In verses 3 through 12, we read, quote, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified." And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. And after three days and a half the Spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet. And great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Unquote. 
For centuries, men and women of God have pondered and debated regarding who these two witnesses might be. While in the end only God knows who they are, it seems fitting that given the fact that God will be looking more keenly than ever to reveal himself to his chosen people Israel in that day in the person of his son Jesus, then who better suited to do so than Moses, who is so venerated by Israel even to this day? Who better to reveal the type enfolded in the law to the substance unfolded and revealed in Jesus Christ? At last, we conclude our long series, Moses the Deliverer, aptly with Revelation chapter 15, verse 3, staged at the time in history as God stands poised to pour out his final wrath upon the beast, i.e. Antichrist, and to signal victory for those who have overcome Antichrist, who are at long last able to sing the song of Moses. Quote, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Unquote. By God's grace, mercy, and love, we too will sing the song of Moses. That being said, let us conclude this series in faith praying the song of Moses from Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, in the knowledge and comfort that in due time that day will by his promise come. Even so, come soon, Lord Jesus. Father, quote, I will sing unto you, for you have triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider you have thrown into the sea. You, my strength and song, and you have become my salvation. You are my God, and I will prepare you a habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt you. You are a man of war. Yeshua is your name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host have you cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them, they sink to the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, has dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellency you have overthrown them that rose up against you. You sent forth your wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright as a heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You did blow with thy wind, the sea covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. 
You in your mercy have led forth your people, which you have redeemed. You have guided us in thy strength unto your holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestina. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, shall take hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm they shall be as still as a stone till we pass over, O Lord, till we pass over which you hast purchased. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for yourself to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. You, Lord, shall reign forever and ever. Unquote. This concludes this series. If you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I would encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Trust